1: From the Secret Files of the International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C., I'm Dr. Vince Houghton, the museum's historian and curator. Every week, the museum brings you interesting conversations with authors, scholars, and practitioners who live in the world of global espionage. Join us as we take a closer look at the secret world of intelligence. Uh, Good afternoon, welcome to the International Spy Museum. Thank you for being patient. We have a very wonderful problem of needing to add more chairs because if so many of you came out today, we appreciate that. Uh, My name is Vince Houghton. I'm the historian and curator here at SPY. I'd like to welcome all of you to our ongoing series called Author Debriefings, programs that we have here at the SPY Museum of new and innovative authors writing books about intelligence or some aspect of intelligence. Today, we are very pleased to welcome Jason Hansen, who is a former CIA officer, security specialist, and recent successful contestant on ABC's reality show Shark Tank. He is a local, uh, born and raised in northern Virginia, and after spending six years at the Central Intelligence Agency, he moved his family to Utah, and he now teaches everyday citizens to defend themselves at his spy escape and evasion school, Jason has been interviewed by major media outlets for security experience, including the Wall Street Journal, Fox News, and the Huffington Post, and now Peter Ernest. He is the author of two books now. The first, The Covert Guide to Concealed Carry, Confessions of a Former CIA Officer, which was published in 2012. And the book we're here to talk about today, Spy Secrets That Can Save Your Life, A Former CIA Officer Reveals Safety and Survival Techniques to Keep You and Your Family Protected, which came out Tuesday, so a couple days ago, so you're getting it for the very first time. Now, Jason will be joined in this conversation by Peter Ernest, who is the founding executive director of the International Spy Museum and also a 35-year veteran of the Central Intelligence Agency. So I will hand it off to you, gentlemen, um, and we'll talk later.
2: Okay. Thank you, Vince. Thank you very much. Vince is our, as I think he told you, our historian and curator I have to start off by saying, by the way, it's very hard to come on after the Pope. So We're going to do our best, all right? So thank you for coming to the Spy Museum today. Uh, We're both delighted to see you. I want to give you a sense of what I got. I had gone, uh, in fact, Vince and I had both gone to one of Jason's seminars he held here in town, going through a number of the techniques that he demonstrates in the book. We probably won't have time to do a technique unless someone wants to be tied up here in the front row. We'll save that, see how our time goes. Um, But I want to get a sense of Jason, a sense of what he's writing about and the information that he wants to share. But Jason, let me just start off by asking you, um, you were in the agency about six years. How did you come to join? How did a nice young guy like you come to I joined the CIA, and uh, you served that period of time, and then you decided to get up. I'd be interested in that part of your background.
0: Sure, absolutely. So like Vince said, I'm born and raised in this area, so I'm a uh, Northern Virginia native. And like many people, I was getting out of college, needed a job. And we're fortunate here. There are so many different agencies to work for. I did not want to have a desk job. I didn't want to you know, be behind some desks for the next 40 years or so. And so I put out a lot of resumes. And my very first job out of college was with a local police department here, Arlington County. For anybody that is a local here, knows Arlington very well. And then almost the same week, the Secret Service and the CIA offered or called and offered me a job. And so since many people in this area work for the agencies, I spoke to Secret Service. I spoke to CIA, and it sounded like the agency would be a heck of a lot more fun, provide more opportunity. And so the rest is history.
2: Okay. But then you made the decision to leave the agency and go into this other world of of training and lecturing on the subjects Mm -hmm. that you've raised in the book.
0: Agency was a wonderful place to work. I mean, as you know, they treat you very well. It's a great place. You know, once you have your top secret security clearance, they, you're the golden child and you can do a lot. But at the end of the day, I, I had that entrepreneurial bone in my body and always wanted to work for myself and go out there and start my own business and have my own company. So I joined in 2003 and I left the agency in 2010. And I remember, actually, my father's in the crowd here today. So I'll tell you a quick story about my father sitting in the crowd. My mom passed away several years ago from cancer. And so he and I used to have Sunday dinners together every single Sunday. And he used to cook, which, of course, was extremely unusual. But now there was nobody else to cook, so we had to. But one Sunday dinner, I told my dad, and this was during the, uh, you know, we had the financial crisis kind of recently. And I said, hey, dad, I'm leaving the agency. And he pretty much said to me, are you out of your mind? He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to go do this, this, and this. And he said, you've lost your mind. You know, do not do it. You've got a great job. And I said, no, I'm doing it. And the night before I put in my resume to the agency, I remember I couldn't sleep. I was as nervous as could be. But I ended up going through with it and happy I made the decision.
2: Okay. Well, you, one of the things you, you've done since you've been out is, is published this book. And I have to ask you, because I think most people here in Washington are familiar with the fact that any CIA officer who goes out and writes a book has to run it through the Publications Review Board. And there are some horror stories that come (laughs) out. People have had problems. They are supposed, the board has the authority to review a book for sources and methods, not opinion. You can say anything you want about the agency, but sources and methods. How did you do with the PRB getting this book out? Because even the name of it was spy secrets mm-hmm. that can save your life. So, as Vince
0: mentioned when he introduced me, I wrote a book earlier and it was mostly about firearms. And so that book had a bunch of pages redacted and blacked out. And you know, I thought, hey, I can get this in, and they said no. And I, you know, this to me it wasn't a secret, but they said there's absolutely no way you can put that in a book. So since I dealt with the PRB before, I knew what they would allow, wouldn't allow. So getting this book through was very easy, and the PRB is great to work with. They're very friendly. So I had a few things on it, but relatively minor. So you know, you submit it. They come back to you and say yay or nay on certain things. And then if you just change the words a bit to where they're happy, you can get it in. So this was a much easier process and no no difficulties whatsoever.
2: What you have in here in the book is... A number of skills, techniques, uh, checklists of things Mm -hmm. to be aware of, whether it's regarding carjacking or home protection. But one of the points you make very early on in the book, and I'm going to ask you if you would just speak to us a bit about that. You said the most important thing that you learned in the agency in terms of of personal conduct in an operational sense. I was a case officer, Mm -hmm. so I know exactly what you're talking about was situational awareness. Could you talk to us a bit about that?
0: Sure. So without a doubt, situational awareness is the most important thing I gained from the agency. And as you said, you know this better than anyone, is you're very hyper-aware, and not hyper-aware in a creepy way. You're you know, <laughs> sitting like this every t- uh, 10 seconds, but you're observant. You're watching people. You know exits when you go into buildings. And as everybody knows in the audience these days, when people are walking across the street, almost everybody is texting, their head is down, they're almost bumping into you or getting run over. And most crimes are crimes of opportunity. So the criminals are looking for that easy victim. And if they see two people come out of a store and one of you has your head up and you're looking around and somebody else has their head buried in a cell phone, they're going to say, Whoa, well, I'm going over this or going after this easy person who's never going to see me coming. So I'm very grateful the agency taught me that. And of course, I've taught my wife and I'm trying to teach my kids, even though they're young. Because that makes me see danger ahead of time, so I can get out of there and get to safety.
2: You know, you say the agency taught you that. I would say that probably virtually anyone in this room can develop that skill. It's Absol- not some special inside, you know, secret right. ring and orders and so forth. It's something that someone can learn to do, and it's simply a question of being more aware.
0: Right. I say the people are probably going to laugh, but I don't own a smartphone. I have a flip phone and, you know, it looks like it was from 20 years ago, but I don't want to be contexting. I don't want to be glued to my cell phone. So, yeah, anybody can keep their head up. Anybody can say, hey, I'm only going to talk on my cell phone when I'm in a safe area. So, yes, this is a skill that once you start doing it and observing people, it becomes second nature.
2: Yeah. Every once in a while, I hear in the neighborhood, I, I, I certainly run into people with their heads down, crossing the street with mm-hmm. their head in their cell phone and talking, and then I run into people who are talking and, it's very clear they don't have a cell phone. They're just walking along, <laughs> chatting away. <clears throat> it's an interesting neighborhood. Yeah. I'll offer you down here. Let me take a couple of subjects because I think uh, obviously we have a wonderful cross section of folks with us today. Um, one of the things you, t- I'm, I'm going to take a couple of subjects that I just like you to talk a bit about, mm-hmm. and one of them is avoiding carjacking. In other words, avoiding being the victim of a carjacking. If you could just give some of your comments, some of the highlights that you would emphasize with folks, most of whom look like they drive.
0: Sure. So there's different kinds of carjackings. You know, One is the guy comes up to you, you're not in your car yet, and he says, just give me the keys. Well, obviously, give him the keys. Who cares about the vehicle? But then there's the one where the guy comes up, and instead of giving the keys, he wants you to get in the vehicle with him. And any time you get in that car, your likelihood of survival significantly decreases. So criminals, because there are criminals, will lie to you and say, if you just get in the car, you're gonna be fine, or if you just get in the car, I won't hurt you. Never ever in a million years believe them. So if a criminal is trying to get you in a vehicle, if you have self-defense training or martial arts, use it, but at the very least, kick them in the growing, scream, gouge out the eyes, go into that primitive fight nature, because again, if you get in that car, you'll probably be dead. So Long story short, don't let the criminals lie to you and believe that if you get in that vehicle, that it's all going to end well. So always fight to preserve yourself.
2: That's a strong statement. Say, I mean, a number of people get carjacked, Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's a mother with a baby or something like that. Um, I don't know that it ends in death as frequently as Mm -hmm. you're suggesting. It certainly can end in injury or...
0: or Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, overseas is different, too. A lot, you know, more danger overseas. But here, as you said, it can still end an injury. Yeah. So, again, it's a case-by-case basis. Only you will know what you're going to do and decide what's right for you. But as for me, I'm not getting in that car no matter what. And if my child happens to be in that car, well, then that guy's not getting in the car, in the car with my child. So, I, you know, I'm a big believer in avoiding violence when you can. So I'll run every single time. But if there comes that push-and-shove time, I am going to do whatever I need to do to protect myself and or my
2: family. Okay. I, you know, at some point, if there's a break, I might chat with your father about what it was like to raise <laughs> you as a kid just to see if you're... Shooting a lot of BB guns in the woods and getting <laughs> in trouble for it. Okay. Another thing that you touch on is, is, and you I think you use the phrase, uh, uh, criminal proof your home. Mm-hmm. All right? These folks look like most of them may live in the area, probably in a home of one kind or another. What comments might you make of it? Sort of a general interest for...
0: You know what I always recommend to people is this evening or this weekend, whatever, go walk down your neighborhood and ask yourself, if I were the criminal, whose house would I break into in the neighborhood? And obviously, if you choose your own house, you need to do something different because criminals always case neighborhoods. It may be casing for days or it may be five minutes when they're just quickly going in there. So criminal proofing your house is very easy to do. I mean, put an alarm sign in the front yard, put alarm window stickers on the back door. If you have a dog, obviously put up a dog sign, or at the very least have a dog bowl at your back door even if you don't own a dog because the criminals will see the dog bowl, but they don't know that. So a lot of it is just these psychological tricks you can do. Um, window, or as or I already said window stickers, uh, but window video cameras, so video cameras near your windows or motion sensor lights because the price on these is so low these days that anybody can afford the motion sensor lights or the video cameras. And I guarantee you, Peter, if a criminal goes walking down your neighborhood and they see your alarm sign, your motion sensor lights, and all that you have, and your neighbors have none of it, they're going to go to the easy pickings, which is that house. So we're, unfortunately, we're not going to stop criminals. They're not going to see your house and say, you know what? I'm going home, and I'm not going to be bad anymore. They're going to say, I'm avoiding Peter's house, but hey, his neighbor three doors down has nothing. I'm going to that house.
2: OK, well, part of what you're advising me to do, then, is buy stock and dog bowls, water bowls. <laughs> That's right. And the on large the, ones, yeah, too. the large ones yes. with, with a name on it, yep. you know, like Savage or Right, Killer. Anybody. Killer, <laughs> yeah. I like that, OK. You know, you've, you've mentioned several times here with us today, criminals, mm-hmm. protecting yourself against criminals. This is how criminals think. And you want to guard yourself against that. One of the concerns that I've heard expressed is in publishing a book like this, which says, here's how criminals are going to be coming at you. Here's, here's what to look out for. Here are some of the warning indicators. And, and are, are, are you, in doing a book like this, are you talking to the criminals? Are, are you helping them have a better idea about how to do their work?
0: You know, I've been asked that before, and it's not a concern of mine at all, because criminals are lazy, You know, I'm not worried about them coming to one of my spy school classes. I'm not worried about them reading a book. And I'm thankfully being able to empower so many more people. So karate teachers or any martial arts instructors, you know, they're teaching good people how to defend themselves. And so the criminals, again, I don't think they're going to take a bunch of martial arts classes. So I've trained thousands of people. And when I sense that somebody is maybe affiliated with a gang or something, I don't allow them in there. But it's probably been .001%. So thankfully, I, you know, I think that you're going to help so many more people, and maybe a minuscule percentage are going to be bad, and the, the good outweighs the bad.
2: You're, uh, I mean, uh, Vince and I happen to have the uh, privilege of going to one of your training seminars. You're still going around the country giving these seminars.
0: I am. So we have spy schools, and we're getting ready to franchise them, actually, because thankfully I'm so busy. So we're going to have spy schools in all the major cities. That way people can learn the items I discuss in the book. And right now, I am traveling around the country where I'm doing this. So we're getting ready to go to Las Vegas in two weeks and then Dallas in another two weeks. And it's a two-day spy course where they get to learn all these tricks of escaping duct tape, picking locks, lie detection skills, surveillance, and so on.
2: You also have a, uh, as I recall, uh, you mentioned when I took the seminar you run a spy school out in your, where you live. You're, you live out in the West, don't you?
0: I do. So I live in a small town yeah. in Utah, okay. and we've got a 320-acre property called Spy Ranch. Mm-hmm. And so we do evasive driving classes there. We do the escape and evasion classes. We do pistol and rifle. So people can come there for the full immersion.
2: And, but, I mean, is that something? Is there a schedule for that? Can people here learn about it? Or you know, like
0: just this? spyescape.com is our main company website, okay. and that has all the class information and lists all the courses.
2: So, you're a bunch of old junkers out there that you're. We using.
0: do. So, we ram a lot of vehicles. So, my driveway in my house drives my wife nuts because we buy used SUVs. So, we'll buy a Toyota 4Runner, a Chevy Tahoe. And then I've got a guy who puts these special metal bumpers on there and we ram vehicles. So, we get about three classes out of a vehicle, but I'm constantly buying Tahoes and 4Runners. And so, my house looks like a used car parking lot, drives my wife nuts, but it's fun. So.
2: Well. I know my wife, when she heard about you and your course, she was very interested in the defense of driving. Uh, not so much for me, but for the people in my neighborhood <laughs> where I am driving. So uh, I, a lot of interest in that. This is so, one of our most yes. popular
0: courses, and people love it. You know, they okay. want to learn how to drive safely. All
2: right. You know, uh, you, you've mentioned, and I think uh, it appears in the book quite a bit, the reference to criminals, criminal activity I would assume that a lot of this would apply for people who may find themselves in today's world in a situation involving terrorists mm-hmm. or terrorism.
0: Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, we know we could turn on the TV and we see the active shooter in the mall. Yes. Or we see something, you know, the well, the, the incident where the Americans did the awesome job in France tackling the guy. Yes. So I do cover that because, you know, if you're 500 yards away and you're on the mall and you hear the gunshots, we'll then get to safety. But if you're two feet away and that gunman turns the corner, if you run, you're just making it easier for him to shoot you in the back. So it's all about time and distance. And I tell people, if you're that close, you've got to do something, which is why I cover some of the self-defense things, because you don't want to run, because that makes it easier to shoot you, where if you just attack him within the two feet, you can do something to disable him, like those guys did in France.
2: You touch on an interesting concept in the book, and, and you just mention it mm-hmm. now, and it was, and I've forgotten exactly what you call it, but it's 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 get off the X. Yes. Can you expand on that a bit for the sure. folks?
0: So the X is the danger zone. Uh, let's say, for instance, right now, this woman right here in the front row, uh, row pulled out a knife and started charging me. This is the X. If I don't move, she's going to sink that knife into me. But if she's running at me and I step off, then I'm off the danger zone. So one of the things I cover in the book is airplane safety tips. And what most people don't realize is 95% of people survive airplane crashes. They die after the crash from the smoke, inhalation, and the fire. So that crashed airplane is the X, and you have 90 seconds to get off of that X. Same thing with the carjacking is, even though I teach evasive driving, I say, if some guy comes up to your window, without me teaching you this stuff, just move, get off that X. Go left, go right, just hit that gas pedal. So one of my favorite phrases is, movement saves lives. When you freeze, you're either going to get injured or die. So just remember, movement saves lives. Always get out of that X.
2: Well, it's a recurrent theme in your book, getting, getting off the X, as you put it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't think I'm talking to anyone in this room, but you have a chapter on disappearing. And uh, people disappear for any number of perhaps domestic or, or other reasons, law. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I was curious what led you to put that chapter in there.
0: You know, people obviously like to know about it, but mm. I do consulting where I do help women who are domestic violence victims disappear and start over. So that chapter made me think, okay, if someone's reading this, and heaven forbid they're in that horrible situation, they know how to take the beginner steps and do it. Um, people always ask me all the time, you know, I just want to do it for the fun of it. Actually disappearing is extremely difficult and something you would never want to do just for the fun of it because you're leaving your family behind. You're not going to be using the Internet. You're not going to be getting checking Facebook every kind of thing or every day. So it's a very serious step if you're going to take it. And only if you had death threats or some very high-threat-level situation would you actually ever want to disappear.
2: Well, we had a a variant of this in the agency because, as you know, there is a witness protection program for people who need it. You just touched on it. Mm -hmm. But in the agency, often we were dealing with agents who had been exposed, not staff agents but our sources, who had been exposed overseas, and there was a need to resettle them, and uh, in many cases in another name. So... I was struck by the fact you go through many of the steps that we did as an agency mm-hmm. with some of these folks to sort of let them emerge, to disappear, but to emerge somewhere in the world in a productive way with their families, uh, if they. And
0: obviously, it. when you got the U.S. government's money behind you, it's a lot easier to disappear. And it, it was <laughs> a
2: lot easier. I, I was periodically audited because I kept making the government's money disappear. <laughs> and was, they always wanted to audit where all of this went. You know, I can't let you go without asking you just to share a word or two about what the Shark Tank experience was like. I assume that's on YouTube.
0: I'm sure it is, yeah. I think I, it is. Yeah, yeah. I think somebody put it on YouTube. Wonderful blessing. It was a very big pressure cooker. So I was in the actual tank for 55 minutes, and they, of course, boil it down in nine or 10 minutes. But for 55 minutes, you got these sharks just throwing question after but question for that long. I for, mean, it's
2: almost an hour. Yeah, right? almost an that, hour. When you see the program, it's Heavily edited. Three minutes or four minutes, whatever it
0: is. So it was very intense, but just like with the agency, you prepare everything. You do all your homework ahead of time. So I watched every episode of Shark Tank. I read every single book that any of the sharks had done, and I ended up making a deal with Damon John, and he's actually the guy that helped me get this book deal, of the book we're talking about right now. So it's worked out very well.
2: Well, I was impressed. I saw you on Shark Tank, and I was impressed you... You, and I realized it was three minutes, and having mm. been in the business, I know that was boiled down. But still, right. uh, you came off very well. You were very assertive. You, Thank you. you but
0: you, I say you've got to be with those guys, <laughs> or they, they'll eat you alive.
2: Yeah. I, I, what is your next step, the apprentice? Although that's off the air. <laughs> well, actually,
0: though. we and are then. working on a reality show deal right now, so that'll probably be next year when it goes on the air.
2: Oh, tell us a little bit about it.
0: Uh, I got to keep it very brief, but it's going to be kind of an amazing race slash survivor where we're going to have people who are going to teach to be spies. I'm going to train them. We're going to take them to a foreign country, and they're going to have to do a series of spy missions, and we're going to see who the uh, kind of survivor or the survival of the fittest is.
2: I think uh, my guess is you're going to have a good crowd of the people, <laughs> people here today or, or any, uh, any suggestion. Let me do this. I think there's uh, certainly a lot of interest, and that's why the folks came today. Let's open it up to. Uh, to questions from the audience. We have a couple of mics, I think, roving on. I would just ask you, uh, if you raise your hand, just to wait for the mic so everyone can, everyone can hear your question for Jason. So questions? Gonna yes, I'm sir? Gonna, I'm going to take the right of payment option here as, uh, as being part of the exam. I'd like to ask, as much as you can tell us, there's
1: only so much. What did you do on a general day-to-day basis at CIA? Like, what, sure. To do exactly what you're
0: doing right Yeah. So I was in the protection. So I did protection. I did security. And as you can see, I'm I'm being vague just to make sure the agency doesn't get angry at me. So I was very blessed to have the firearms training, to have the evasive driver training, to have all the training that I did that I now get to share. So as I like to joke, is uh, when you when you're with the agency, there's, as Peter knows, you know the first week you're there, you go through kind of the uh, indoctrination. And so they always ask, or I don't know if they do anymore, but, hey, what uh, university did you go to? So how many people from Harvard are here? And, you know, a bunch of people raise their hand. And how many people from Yale and all these colleges, and there's maybe four of us sitting there? And for those who are local, I happen to go to Radford University, which is not Harvard. So I was not some genius analyst or kind of, you know, genius uh, science and technology guys. I was a a hired gun, you know, a security guy, a trainer, that kind of thing.
2: Okay, other questions for Jason? By the way, I should mention, I'll come right over to you, uh, Jason will stay after the talk. You're going to be will. To go after the mm-hmm. talk. He'll be in the back signing his book. We have copies of the books there. Yes, ma'am.
1: I was wondering about the treatment. In scandal, it seems as though the CIA agents are pretty abused in training. So tell me it's not true.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you the scandal is very, very far-fetched. I will say the, uh, you know, Peter again could probably answer this better than I can, It's none of that crazy stuff, but they do take the self-defense training, and sometimes you get an instructor who is a little more Rambo-ish than he probably should be. So I almost had my arm broken once. Thankfully, didn't. But it's not because they're torturing you. It's because you're taking the training very seriously. So nothing scandal-like whatsoever.
2: Well, that's disappointing.
0: (laughs) Maybe you got, but not me.
2: (laughs) Okay, other questions for Jason? Yes, one back there. Hi there. Um, I had a question
0: about, um, I guess, just everyday lie detection, if you could talk about that a little bit. And also, is there a difference in the way that men lie and the way women lie? We're good at it. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you that as human beings, we are terrible liars. So people think they're great, but we're not. And I, so I teach lie detection in my classes, and I go over in the book. Probably the, There's many different things you can look for, but the easiest tip I teach people is watch the first three to five seconds of somebody's answer. So actually, so what's, what's your name, sir? Jay. Jay, have you ever stolen anything before? Yes. There you go. You told me the truth. We are horrible liars. So when people lie, they're stuttering or they're buying time to conjure up that lie. So when I interview employees for my company, that's one of the questions I ask them. And I kid you not, I once had a girl who said, um, uh, I've stolen a lot of stuff and it was recently. I was like, okay. So obviously, I didn't hire her. So when you ask people questions, you obviously, don't come out just like that. But if you see them gasping or their eyes going a certain way, or they, you know, they're buying time. They're creating that lie. Where if you're honest, it's a quick yes or no answer, and clearly you're being honest. And We've all stolen something. We stole candy when we were sixth grade at the supermarket, kind of thing. So most people's answer is going to be yes. You know, not really. I mean, the women's body language, a lot of times, is they do more because I cover the body language. They do more body language. But overall, we have similar signs. And again, we are all horrible liars. Like in the agency, when you had to lie, it's easy because that's your job and you don't feel guilty. But in real life now, I'm the world's worst liar.
2: <laughs> I am. Was it much candy? And then were you? you
0: <laughs> it was probably Snickers bars. I love <laughs> okay. Snickers. That's
2: why I can never find one. <clears throat> okay. Other questions? Oh, by, by the way, if I could just add to what Jason's saying, I thought his discussion of human lie detector was quite good in the book. Uh, he gives a number of indicators. You can only cover so much, but I thought you had a nice rundown. that. Uh, yes, one right here?
1: Uh, what is your opinions or maybe feelings on uh, private citizens' right to carry concealed weapons?
0: Sure. So I'm a huge gun guy, when I mean huge, huge. So I live in southern Utah right now. I was born and raised in Virginia, gun-friendly states. I'm a believer that everybody should be able to carry a gun, who wants to, who's had the training, and who can pass the background check. So I don't believe in states or even you know, places where you're not allowed to carry guns. But if you have the proper training and if you're not a convicted, uh, convicted felon, then in my opinion, it's the best way to protect yourself.
2: Any follow-up, or you're happy with that? Okay. Okay. Question right behind you.
1: So, what would be the follow-up for that? If you're in a state where you can't carry concealed?
0: So, right now, here we're in D.C. Obviously, I can't carry concealed here. So, knives, the tactical pen, and it's uh, in my pocket. I hope I don't ruin the microphone as I pull out all the stuff I have in my pocket. The tactical pen is one of my favorite items. It's just it's aircraft-grade aluminum, I'm a regular writing utensil, but it's a pen you could you know do some serious damage. So I've had a woman who escaped a kidnapping in Florida when two men tried to kidnap her at a gas station with this. I had a guy send me an email literally two weeks ago who said somebody just tried to attack me, and I can't remember where he was, a convenience store or something. It was a drug guy, and he said he jabbed this in the guy's chest. The guy went backwards and left him alone. So if you can't carry a gun, at least have some type of self-defense tool, whether it's a knife, whether it's a tactical pen, whatever you feel comfortable with.
2: Tell us something about uh, why you consider that a tactical pen. And let me make a request. When sure. you're back signing books, if you would have that with you, just in case anybody would like to take a and understand I will. it. But tell us why you're calling that a and why, isn't okay. my, so why isn't my pen a tactical pen?
0: These, these pens are made of plastic. They're obviously less expensive. Yeah. So this pen, as you can see, it's got a sharp point, even though it's a regular writing sure. pen, like I said is if there were a glass window that was thin enough, I'm going to break this pen on it, but I could smash out glass if I get trapped in a vehicle and maybe I went over a bridge into the water and I got to get out. So this just is going to do a lot more damage, and obviously you're only going to use this if you're in fear for your life and somebody is trying to attack you.
2: That's, that's a. I I picked that. It's a fairly heavy It's, it's
0: hefty. Yeah I'll, yeah. I'll have it back there, and they can see this is no cheap plastic pen. This is a serious pen that can do damage.
2: Okay. Dog dish bowls and tactical pens, I think we're doing well Right here? I just wanted to know where we could, where would you buy a tactical pen? That sounds like an amazing thing for my daughter to send me. So
0: tacticalspypen.com is the website where you get this back one. So there you go. Yeah, yeah, I'm serious. Tacticalspypen.com, absolutely.
2: Have you thought of a watch? Maybe one of these. uh, Okay, good questions. Okay. Anything else? One right here. You'd hold on for the mic. Thank you. Thank you. Um, to follow up on your carjacking scenario, <laughs> in this day and age, you hear a lot about the, the criminal using guns or knives, you know, to hold you up to do whatever, either just to take the car or push you in or whatever. So, for say, small female who has not yet, I keep wanting to take the women's self-defense <laughs> training, but I haven't been able to meet the schedules when it's offered where I live. Um, How do you, I mean, obviously you can try to do the physical attack kind of thing, but they're holding a gun to your back or something. So what is sort of maybe an easy trick for women in particular to kind of disengage from that?
0: So I teach gun disarms and knife disarms. A lot of martial arts do, and it's not something that is hard. So you don't have to do 30 years. I mean, within two hours you can learn how to do it. So go take those women's self-defense classes where they teach you how to do a knife disarm or a gun disarm. But no matter what, kick them in the groin. As I kid you not, everybody thinks, oh, you know, that's horrible. I would never do that, even men think it. If the groin is open, you better believe I'm going to go there. Um, Also, right here on your neck, a huge nerve called the vagus nerve, but it's V-A-G-U-S. If you strike it like this, it shuts down your system, and they'll collapse. If you hit it hard enough, they may die, which is why you don't want to practice this. So if you had the chance to really hit someone on the side of the neck hard, they will literally collapse because that nerve is there. So kick in the groin, do that, and then take the classes when you have a chance.
2: One other thing in answer to her question mm-hmm. that you touch on the book, you make a very big point of this, and that's getting out of an area where things are going on before you get drawn into something. I'm, I, I'm not sure what your situation would be, but right. one of your things is move is getting out is going the other way. Is the the woman market. at the
0: gas station I told you about used to go to this bad area of town where she yeah. saved three cents a gallon. Not a good idea. Pay three cents more to not go in a dangerous area and go to the nice gas station. So, yes, I'm a big believer of keeping myself out of those dangerous areas in the first place.
2: Anything else on that? Did you? No. Okay. Then there's oh, there's another one here, and one in the back then, Amanda. I yeah.
1: So you were talking about, you know, getting out and such, do you have recommendations when you're flying? Where is the safest place to sit on an airplane for exits and for Yeah, great question.
0: So I fly all the time. What the uh, FAA found out is everybody thought there was like some magic seat. Like 13D will always have you live. All it came down to is if you're within five rows of an exit, you increase your likelihood of living. So when I book a flight, because, you know, I book all my flights online and we can choose our seats these days, is always book a flight within five rows of the exit, and you should be good to go. You know, don't be in that no-man's land where you're extremely far away.
2: Uh, We've got one over here. I was just wondering what
1: uh, is a hard and fast rule for getting out of zip ties or being your hands being tied? I don't have the best upper body strength, so what could help with that? And yet, strangely, she often finds herself with zip ties. (laughs) (laughs) So it's actually
0: training I do, and... uh, I mean, it's it's in the book, because the best thing I can tell you, it's, it's easy to learn, but there are techniques where it doesn't matter how strong you are or anything, where if you hold your hands right, you can shimmy out a rope, and then if you have paracord with you, which is parachute cord, kids make bracelets and things these days, is it cuts through zip ties, it cuts through rope. So if you were traveling overseas to a more dangerous area, you'd have all this stuff on you, but for every day, you can learn the techniques in just minutes, and again, it has nothing to do with strength.
2: We might uh, just seeing the interest there is here and listening to Jason. We might want to think about, uh, and I mentioned this for the program folks in town. We might want to have a program down track uh, for Jason to demonstrate some of these techniques. So keep keep an eye on our uh, on our website and on our uh, schedule, and if we can, we'll have Jason back to certainly uh, get tied wanna... up or have other people tied up or whatever it takes. Does Jason yeah. want to tell us a little bit more about his spy school? Sorry. Just, do you want to tell us a little bit more about spy schools? Sure.
0: Yeah, as I mentioned, I mean, we have the, <laughs> sure. Peter actually attended one of the spy schools, as did Vince. And as I said, the next one we have is in Vegas and then in Dallas. But that's where you learn how to escape duct tape, how to escape rope, how to pick the locks. Uh, we teach you how to use a hair barrette and a bobby pin to pick handcuffs. So we cover all the self-defense information.
2: Okay. I think, Jason, I think we'll, we'll take one. Why don't we take one more sure. right here, Amanda? Thank you.
0: Thank you. I'm not sure if you do any of the uh, agent protection as far as, like, uh, surveillance detection routes. We do do that, yes. One of the things I'm curious about, and I've read before, they often talk about timing certain legs of the, you know, SDR when they're running
2: it. Mm. What's the significance of timing it?
0: Well, there's a lot, and again, to make it short, is you want to time it because time and distance come into play. So you want to know what I mean time and distance is, okay, I just saw this person here that I see them here. So if, for instance, you right now, me seeing you here makes sense. If I go in the museum, makes sense. But if I'm in Utah where I live and I see you walking down the street, clearly time and distance don't make sense and I know you're following me. So that's one of the reasons is to, to, to keep everything. But to also when you're having your uh, counterintelligence guys you, follow you. So if I think I'm being followed, I'm going to have counterintelligence following me and I want them to know exactly where I'm going to be. At 10.59, I'll be at this cover stop. At 11.17, I'll be at this cover stop. So they can follow me to see if somebody's following me. That was probably totally totally confusing, but there's me, there's the bad guys, and there's my guys seeing if the bad guys are following me. So that's another reason you want to know the time of
2: it. Yeah, I would just add to what Jason's saying as an ops officer. Remember, the whole purpose of a surveillance detection route is to detect surveillance. But the end goal is to meet an agent Mm -hmm. or do a brush contact or empty a dead drop or something like that. So wherever you are, you have to keep it in mind that you're going to be at a certain point at a certain time. And that's why time becomes very critical as you go through that, you know, very uh, circuitous route to get to a place. And that's uh, mm-hmm. Jason has been terrific having you here today. Thank you. A great audience. And thank you. Thank you. Okay. Appreciate it. Perfect. We look forward
1: to continuing this dialogue with you. And we'd like to know if you have any comments or questions on today's SpyCast. You can get in touch with us through email at spycast at spymuseum.org. Thank you, and we will see you next month.